It's Steve, and welcome back to Restless, the podcast. We have a rogue wave coming up for you today in this show. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Also, if you want to contact us, you can contact us at info at restlesspodcast.com. Also, check us out on our website at restlesspodcast.com. You can learn a great deal about us and this ministry. Um, we also do a thing called Press On. It's just a shorter series that lasts about two minutes and 30 seconds. That's an encouraging thought for the day or for the evening before you retire. But it addresses a lot of different topics. One of the things that we're talking about right now is anxiety and fear and depression. Check that out because that's a, that's a real issue today in our country and globally, given the pandemic and given the world issues that are occurring right, right now. So do that. Hey, Luke, now, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest that we have on today? I think, I think this is going to be an interesting story, and it, it kind of runs off the path of our typical stories, because there's a lot to be learned in this story that uh, Mike is going to share with us. So could you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, and uh, for those listening, we mean a little bit atypical in the sense that this will have elements of a more traditional episode, as in a story but there will also be a rogue wave element. We're probably going to officially label it a rogue wave, but you're getting a little bit of the best of both here. But here we go. Today's guest is Mike, and Mike currently lives in eastern North Carolina with his wife of 45 years, whose name is Anne. He has four grown children, and he graduated from a well-known college in Maryland with a major in both business and in marketing. He worked 35 years in both the internet and telecom industries, and he was involved in five startup companies, one of which was actually purchased by a Fortune 15 company for several billion dollars. After leaving the high-tech world, he started a consulting company helping small companies to launch new products, sales training, and leadership development. During that same time, though, he was a member of seven different churches, five of which were also startups. He is an ordained elder and was a men's ministry director at four of the churches. Mike currently is developing a full-time men's ministry and is currently mentoring and coaching over 20 men. He is an avid golfer, sportsman, he loves to read and study, and tries not to think too highly of himself, and most importantly, loves a good laugh. Amen. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke and Steve. I really appreciate your invite and allowing me to be here today. And we, of course, appreciate you responding to said invite. So welcome. Thank you. All right, Mike. So you're a man that I already know is of a certain and very superior grade of wisdom about many things. So let us have it. Thanks, Luke. I hope I can live up to that uh, great introduction. Um, yeah, yeah. Give us both barrels, Mike, and tell us when to duck. Both barrels, indeed. <laughs> I will be gentle. Put a high, put, put some high pressure rounds in it while you're at well, it. Well, we'll see what happens, how the Lord leads. Uh, I think it'd be appropriate if I gave you a little bit of a background uh, and some more um, of a backstory to some of that information that you shared, Luke. Uh, I did go to school or college in Maryland, graduated from high school in Maryland as well. Um, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior as a senior in high school. Uh, a little bit of background about high school. For me, was I was your typical athlete, what we called a jock back then. I wasn't interested too much in studying. Uh, it was more about uh, having fun, not working a whole lot, playing a lot of sports, and uh, girls. Uh, my senior year, uh, after 
playing quite well the first previous years in football. I had a chance to play football in college, not for a scholarship, if you will, but maybe on a division three level, but working out pretty hard the summer before my senior year with an individual, we were doing construction work and saving up some money. So I could go to the uh, party that uh, preceded the, uh, two-week football practice session that we were going to have at the end of August. Well, one Saturday after driving home from work, we were both exhausted, working six, seven days a week for about two and a half months. Uh, driving home about two o'clock in the afternoon, my uh, partner and buddy and friend at the time um, fell asleep and ran into a telephone pole. I eventually went through about, about a few seconds uh, through the windshield and hit that telephone pole and came back into the car. Uh, and that's when my life changed forever. Uh, it was uh, not a, that painful, but uh, very scary. Um, ambulance came. There was a doctor behind the car, which I think helped save my life at the time. But I could actually hear the police officer showed up, say that this is a possible DOA. Well, that didn't help my situation very much. So I began to, for the first time in my life, start to pray. Now, we didn't come from a very religious background with my family. Um, going to church was not something we did, not something that I did. And God was usually not in the conversation for me. But at that moment, uh, it became very real. Um, as the ambulance um, drove me off to a local hospital, um, the, uh, they, tried, they did everything they could to stop the bleeding. I was pretty severely injured about my face. Uh, mostly that's where the wounds were, the cuts were. Um, they rolled me into the hospital. It was interesting at this point, but they had stabilized me and I wasn't so concerned, but they were waiting on a particular uh, plastic surgeon to show up. And one of the first of two angels, as I call them, uh, met me in the hallway while I was laying on the gurney for what seemed forever waiting for the doctor. And he came by, saw me laying there and he said, hey man, what are you doing? I said, no, man, I'm just here laying, waiting for a doctor. He said, really? Uh, I'll sit with you for a while. And the guy actually sat down, grabbed my hand, and we started to talk. And what we talked about was football. Come to find out that he was from a competing high school that I had played against for many years. And he just talked and calmed me down and said, can I pray for you? Mm. He did. Mm. Um, and I have to tell you, that was the first time in that two or three hour situation, I felt a peace come over me. Don't know why. At that point, I did not know why. The doctor showed up. I went through the operation. And over the next two years, I went through 11 separate uh, plastic surgery operations. But the second angel came into my life when I went back to school, probably about four weeks into the school year. I missed the uh, two weeks training for practice for football. Um, started very late into the season. Um, and went back to school looking at what I thought like uh, Frankenstein. Uh, it was a lot of swelling from the injuries and things, but and thought my life was over, to be honest with you, and didn't think about God at all, even after that day when uh, I will call him Brad, and it's not his name, but Brad prayed for me on that gurney in the hospital. That was the last time for many weeks that I had thought about God. And I became a little angry about the whole situation, to be honest. And then one day, a friend of mine came to me in the hallway and said, you know, there's a young lady here uh, who, by the name of Ann um, who wants to go out on a date with you. I didn't think I would ever uh, go on a date with anyone again uh, because of my injury. 
because it didn't look that great. Um, and I said, well, who is it? Well, it's Ann. I said, that Ann? Yes. And I said, wow. Um, about two or three, four weeks later, we went on our first date. And um, it was kind of love at first sight for her and, and for a little later for me. But she encouraged me to get involved in a ministry called Young Life. Strongly encouraged me to go to club, introduced me to my uh, young life leader named John. And eventually John led me to know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that spring. Now, Ann was quite influential in that and said, basically told me that if I didn't really speak with John, that I, she would not go to the um, uh, prom with me. So I was highly encouraged to go to the prom. But John uh, was a gracious man, a loving man, still in touch with him on a regular basis, shared the uh, love of Christ for me and and was very similar in my test in, in his life with mine, a very big sports advocate and fan, and and played the uh, cross and and I, I trusted him and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. From that point forward, uh, later on, we Anna and I kept dating. She encouraged me to go to college. I had no plans on going to college, but I did. Um, and then at that point, I was encouraged by John to uh, become a young life leader, and I did. And that led me into a whole lot of other possibilities, not just there, but also going to uh, college. Uh, as I, I studied business and uh, business administration and marketing uh, and personnel and human relations and didn't know exactly what I was going to do with that. But as I got out of college, Ann and I um, got married, been married for 45 years. And interesting things started from that point forward. It took me quite some time to get through college. Uh, but with her encouragement, the Lord's encouragement and encouragement from others, I did. Um, began my corporate um, work and career, uh, probably about 26 or 27. About the same time um, I started, was asked by a pastor to become a um, um significant member, if you will, in a startup Presbyterian church in Maryland. I was not quite sure why he asked me that, but he said what he told me was is that he thought he'd spent a lot of time with me and knew who I was, and that I had, he saw a lot in me, uh, that I had a, a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, and that I was uh, teachable, and that he thought I'd make a great ordained elder. I did not think so at the time, but he did, but I had never to that point, I uh, had anyone tell me that they had actually saw something in me. Uh, and that changed my perspective on a lot of things, encouraged me, gave me some uh, confidence. And I did go through the training to become a PCA elder. At the same time, I started one of my first positions in high tech uh, as a sales rep, uh, selling computer components. Um, it was an interesting um, journey from that point forward because I was on a track now that I never thought I was going to be on. I thought I was going to be blue collar, no college education, um, get married, have kids, hunt, fish, do all those kinds of things, but the Lord had something else in mind. Um, there were a lot of changes in my life at that point uh, with my family. Um, with my mom and dad and parents that uh, impacted me significantly throughout that entire time in my life. 
Uh, maybe sometime we'll get to go through that some other time. But um, my first position, I'll go first with my uh, career in high tech, as I call it. I was actually, to give you a point of reference, one of the first people that ever saw some of the first emails that were come across on DARPAnet from Europe and in the United States. I didn't even know what that's pretty cool. It was interesting. I had no idea what that was. All of a sudden we saw the guy, the one technician said, look at this. And you see these letters and things come across the screen on a computer. Now a computer back in those days, you could literally just about walk inside of one, uh, processing power be about the size, about the capability, even though I could stand inside one of the first computers, be the equivalent of your iPhone 13 today, uh, on that little package. But coming across that screen was, hi, this is John or somebody from over in London. And I said, well, who's, all right, that's just somebody in the other apartment or office over there typing a message. He said, no, that guy is actually in Europe. And that's just coming across to us in about 10 seconds. Well, that was like magic to all of us. And we had no idea what we were about to get ourselves into. And it was coming across this thing they called the internet. Uh, it was very interesting. I became very involved in it. And um, some of the positions I began to have uh, over the years with them, I started out sales, got into sales management, um, worked for numerous startups. Um, some of them were successful. One was extremely successful. Uh, that's where I, um, I worked for about three or four years and got into senior level management. And worked for a corporation that was a Fortune, Fortune 15 company, working for an individual who eventually was uh, ran for president of the United States up against Donald Trump, of all things. Um, she had my vote. I uh, highly respected her. She was probably the, one of the best leaders and managers that I had ever been. And we learned a great deal from her. Um, but it was much different than the environment that I'd ever been in before. Most of our companies was, that I had been involved with were very small. You knew everybody that you worked with. It was almost a family environment. This was a corporation, corporation who, had, I think at the time, probably had over 67,000 employees. Uh, I was put into a role with that particular corporation as a vice president of a particular business group and was asked to drive a very large uh, amount of revenue with full profit and loss of responsibility. I was at a loss, um, but we went through a lot of training. Um, and this was at a time when the internet was really taking off. Uh, it had grown exponentially year after year after year. Um, it was mostly bottom line driven by Wall Street. I, um, Got to a point where our company, uh, to give you some background, how it changed, was, was all about stock and um, driving the stock price and not necessarily your income, but it was all about uh, helping the shareholders grow wealthy. Um, the company got in a little bit of a trouble along with the industry as a whole. Uh, they started doing things, uh, illegal things to maintain uh, revenue, maintain profitability, if you will, and to maintain, most importantly, um, not just maintain the price of the uh, stock, but to grow the price of the stock. 
And then one day I finally got a call from someone from the federal government asking me, a lawyer from the Justice Department, Securities and Exchange Commission, if you will, what I knew and when did I know it? And I kind of was a little taken aback by it. And it was that point when things literally started to fall apart. Uh, it wasn't soon after that that uh, 9-11 happened. And the entire industry uh, literally just fell apart. Uh, it, within months, over 600,000 people were laid off. And I eventually was one of them. But um, I learned a great deal through that process of multiple years of that, of how to read people, understand people, what motivates people from the business community, uh, what drives them. Uh, and saw a side of people that I didn't really care to see. I saw people literally do things to other people that would bring you to tears just to get a, a raise, to get a promotion, to get more stock options. Uh, it was not a very comfortable position for me to be in. Um, but I felt that the Lord had called me to be there, to stay there, um, and try to um, share his love and his grace to others in a very difficult situation. Mike, would you say yeah, that that interested yes. me? Would you say that's not necessarily one of the first, but like just a major point in life where the, the reality of sin became more and more apparent? Oh, absolutely, Luke. I, it was in trying to walk with Christ at the time, there was two dynamics. One, I wanted to be a good, good employee. Christ calls us to be good employees, to be good employers, Christ-like employers, employees. But yet, on a daily basis, we would be asked to drive numbers, do things that were could be contrary to um, our calling as Christians, my calling as a Christian. And at the same time, I am a uh, ordained Presbyterian elder. I was leading a men's group through several of these over these years as well. And it was very difficult for me to balance this work and life and ministry um, that I was in at the time. The stress was unbelievable. Uh, how I would do things, I would not do things that would cause me to be literally reprimanded, that have caused me over the years to be missed promotions. Um, people couldn't understand why I would not compromise my beliefs, why I will not do, wouldn't do unethical things. However, I thought I wasn't being, as I would put it, good enough as a Christian. Um, and the turmoil inside me, the fight inside me was very stressful. And yes, there's a tremendous amount of sin, what you would see on a daily basis. Um, people enticing you to compromise your faith and your values every day. Yeah, I have, I've also been in sales for quite some time, mm -hmm. many different kinds, not near the level of what you were at once, but you, you know, people just, they, they look at that, that bottom line number and sure, getting that commission, getting paid feels great. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you know, what else feels great is knowing that you didn't make someone waste their money either, that you actually got them something that they invested in that is actually going to help them. That was a wise yes. purchase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just feel like I try to communicate back also to others who are just looking at that number like, 
yeah, yeah, listen, that just, that wasn't the right thing for the right person. Mm -hmm. I agree. If you're going to follow Christ and be ethical and legal and try to help people, that was counter to what we were trained in corporate America of what to do. We were literally trained to manipulate and drive people into buying our product. Fortunately for me, I was in most of the time in situations where the, the equipment or the product or the service, if you will, that we had were some of the best in the industry. Yeah. Uh, technology was uh, uh, very, very secure, uh, very well made, uh, very well serviced. So I felt good about that part. I felt that I was helping them to meet their goals as a company, and as individuals. And I would take a particular interest in the people that I was selling to. I can still this day, to this day, call five or six, some of my uh, key customers over the years, if not more, and they'll take my phone calls because I didn't compromise. I didn't have, I would not sell them products that would not work for them. I literally at times would sell or recommend other people's and sometimes our competitors' products to them because I knew it would be better for them in the short and long term to use a different type of technology than mine. And what was interesting to me and was a great learning lesson, a life lesson to me was that that was more valuable to them to sell them that I would offer up another solution that was not mine to keep, to help them to be successful. That's what they would love to see. And that's one of the techniques and, and, that I took as an approach with the other the people that I trained is to be holistic, to be part of their company, to show them that you care as an individual first. And I would have opportunities when I did that to share Christ with others as well. Mike, why are you doing this? Why are you like that? Well, that's an open invitation to share who you are and what you believe and why you believe it. Because um, what, what you were doing was kind of the exception rather than the rule in that industry, right? Oh, absolutely, Steve. I rarely ran into Christians, or if I did, they were not professing their faith. Um, it was not encouraged. It was, especially the larger corporations, it was something that they did not want to hear. Um, and you would get yourself reprimanded, uh, or you would be quietly asked to do something else someplace other than where you're at. Um, they would work you out of the industry, literally, uh, because it didn't meet the corporate values. We usually had the one company would have, like, I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but they had what they would call the way. And they would train you and train you and train you and train you um, into being an individual that looked, spoke, and lived and worked just like the way they wanted you to. And if you did, you were rewarded. If you didn't, you were put to the side. I was asked on numerous occasions to go to these types of, at one occasion, sensitivity training. Um, oh, boy. That was quite interesting. Um, I went for one day, and then I told them I was not coming back, um, and that caused quite a stir. But uh, none of the training uh, was faith-based at all, yeah, very humanistic. And uh, I would actually say it was a very early on woke type of uh, uh, lifestyle that they wanted you to live. It was interesting. 
I think Christ was always telling me as, as I read and as I was being taught and, and heard is to love one another. You know, as Christ loves us. And that's what I tried to do. Uh, I Very rarely was I in a situation where I thought I was being overbearing or not being sensitive to people, but I was doing it my way, not the corporate way. Um, that caused a great amount of um, stress and pain for me personally as well, and for many, many others. But uh, if you wanted to uh, succeed in corporate, the corporate world, even today, you have to follow their rules and, and nothing but their rules and live like that the way they want you to. Mike, if I could ask, you know, a lot of things are going on during that time. You got a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. um, how's that impacting you personally and, and your family? At the time, um, it was really difficult, Steve. I became a very hard person uh, to combat some of the stress. Uh, I became very rigid. I um, didn't laugh a lot, didn't laugh at all, much at all, actually. I flew a tremendous amount and did not spend a lot of time at home. Uh, when I came home, I was uh, grumpy and irritable and didn't want to do anything because I was exhausted. But I knew I had to get up because the next day on Saturday, there was men's ministries, uh, men to meet and men to talk to and, and studies to lead. And then on Sundays, there were Bible studies to teach and you go to church and there was Sunday evening things and then Monday morning, right back out to work again. The duplicity of it all was just a mind boggling. And I saw uh, many men, because at the time we were living in Northern Virginia and we were living in the second richest county in America at the time. Um, the wealth that was generated was, a, was amazing. Overnight millionaires. Uh, and how it changed the culture uh, in Northern Virginia was horrible to see. It was hard to fight. Um, overnight people that were um, front desk people, to be the greeter that you would meet somebody in the lobby in a business or a doctor's office, the stock would hit. And first thing you know, the next day they were worth a million and a half dollars. Uh, and it just changed people's lives for the worst. And I saw that early on, how it impacted people, the wealth. They couldn't handle it. They could not handle it. And they changed as individuals. Became very hard, very um, self-centered. And it was all about money and all about possessions. And, uh, and, and it's wild because it's like, yeah, imagine just like waking up and the right play hits and you're worth $5 million. Like. Hmm. Did it, it just to think that it occurred to virtually none of these people, or at least not many, mm -mm, not many, not many. You now have the power to do a lot of good with that. And sure, you know, buy your cool toy because you got lucky, yes. but, but you mm -hmm. have so much to do a lot with otherwise. Mm -hmm. Like you have, it's, you were all called to love our neighbor as ourself, yes, right? Amen. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would actually get a little bit easier if you had such grand means where you could just throw so much at other people to help them, but they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't. Now, Ann and I, we gave, worked very hard at giving a fair amount away, but we got caught up in it as well. Um, it's that old sports saying um, that they'll see some, you'll see some athletes that someone once quoted, 
what happened to the athlete after they got that big contract is, well, they started believing the press quotes, right? All the press about us started <laughs> believing it. Uh, and you really, which is amazing to me, and people would very, be very frustrated with me, is I was like, what was the key to your success? One, I, the Lord Jesus Christ had put me in the spot that I could do it. I saw a good thing. I just held on and ran as fast as I could run. I didn't really deserve it, but I was in the right place at the right time. Um, now, I've learned a lot of lessons over the years about that wealth part of how God gives some people, and I know of several men who it doesn't seem to affect. They just, they, it's not about the money. It's not about the wealth. It's not about the power that, that money generates. And I saw a great deal that I actually worked for a couple of billionaires. And it changed those people once it became those overnight billionaires. But I know a few men who it does not impact. They give most of them a lot of money and time away. And I worked very hard to try to be like that, but it still impacted because everybody in your neighborhood were instant, not necessarily multimillionaires, but were very well off. And it impacted my kids and impacted my relationships with them and with my wife. It's we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and we couldn't do it. Um, tremendous amounts of stress and actually impacted my health. Eventually caught up with me just a few years ago, but uh, in fact, it impacted my relationship with my wife and my kids, uh, very negatively so. And um, But thank the Lord, he was gracious and kind and he never left me. He never gave up on me. And he has um, restored my relationships with my wife, uh, my children, in particular my son, uh, who are, I think now we can say we're best friends. There was a time when he didn't even really want to talk to me. Um, I can't even say on live on some of the things he would say about me. And they were all true, but um, um, it impacted everybody in that area. And uh, I could name names and some of these names you people, you wouldn't recognize the area that I lived in, actually been in the news lately the last couple of six months because of school uh, situations um, in their mm -hmm. county. And it's all based on money mm -hmm. and wealth, and they didn't know how to handle it. But things began to change, didn't they? They did. Um, when I refer to everybody being laid off, I was laid off at that Corporate 15 company. Uh, and I was glad to leave, actually, because I didn't like what was going on. And I thought I had gotten out of it because I went back to a small company who worked was in Colorado. And I had to literally just jump from the pot to the frying pan when I went there. Um, and um, that did not go very well either. Worked for a couple who had uh, started a company, became billionaires overnight, lost it all. And then I got, was called to help them to rebuild it and did so helped them to get back to where they were. And, and when they did, they just kind of cut the cords with me and um, said, goodbye. Thanks. Thanks. But no, thanks. When, and they didn't pay out what they were supposed to. And that was the crusher for me. Um, hmm. I didn't know how to handle that one. And from that point forward, I'd never had another corporate job and um, kind of got lost, to be honest with you. And, uh, and all this time, I'm still working in the church, helping churches to get started. And there was this raging fire 
burning inside me. Um, things were not going well with my extended family, with my parent, with my father. Um, my kids ended up having some uh, mental health issues. Um, we had adopted a son, and he ended up having problems. Anne and I were not working out real well. I, every corner or every aspect of my life was not working out. And I literally crashed. Um, and I still to this day can hear God saying to me, in only a way that I could understand, I love you, but I have to take all the stuff away first before you, before you, excuse me, before you'll hear me. And he did. Uh, he, um, we were fairly well off financially. That disappeared all within six months. Um, we looked great on paper, but we, um, we weren't, I wasn't solid uh, in a walk with the Lord. And once he had to take me to a spot where there was nothing left but him, and I literally mean that to the point where I was literally going to um, take a, as they say, a long walk off a short pier. Uh, that's when I fell to my knees. Mm. And from that point forward, things were, didn't get easier overnight. Things actually got tougher. But um, I gave it all up to him, turned over my anger to him. Turned over my impatience, my desire to grow and uh, to to be successful, and everything changed. My son actually said at one point we were at a I can't exactly remember. I know where it was. It was at a Promise Keepers event, and he said, "Dad, I am glad you lost all that money. I am glad hmm. you got fired, and that you can't find another big time job." And I said, wow, wow, <laughs> didn't know how to respond to that one. But he said, I said, why? He said, forgive me, but he said, well, now I see my dad. Yeah. Now you got time for him. And I now know there was a reason that I couldn't find anything else to do but, stop, but work on the side and consulting, one of those types of things. is because Jared ended up having a very severe time with the mental health issue. I, it was very difficult. And I made a decision that I would stay home, literally stay home and work from home so we could keep our son alive. And I spent a great deal of time with him, and we are very close and very tight because of it. Uh, I got reconnected with my uh, two daughters and my uh, other son, John. And Anne and I worked very hard at our establishing our relationships, but all at the same time, um, praying without ceasing and reading scripture and you know, every time you take two steps forward, you, you get that step back, but just continued growth. And through that whole process over literally the last 15 years has changed my life. Um, and I guess there was one thing I get, I actually really realized I had a gentleman in a church in Leesburg, Virginia, tell me, Mike, it's not your business card and the title on it that God wants. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want you to do what, what you do. He just wants you. And it took me a long time to realize that. Uh, and once he, you have give that all up, 
that's when you can really see your Lord and when you can start, start walking with him. And life changes from that perspective. It's not all about me. It's not about what I do. It's about living a life that's pleasing to him and honoring to him. And things just change that way. At that point, I got involved in other ministries um, and more mentoring and coaching other men. I've been places and done things and seen things and learned things that it that I'm able to share with others now. Second um, Corinthians talks about giving comfort to others that you've received. God gives us comfort. He wants us to give it comfort to others. And I am uniquely positioned in a way that was very tough to be in uh, and to learn and go through to be in that position. But I'm able to work with men now who are tough guys. Most people just would not want to deal with them or be with them. But now I can actually understand them. They can understand me and they trust me. And I think that's the key word that I can trust them because I've been there, I've done it. And I've actually seen things and done things that they only, that they literally in their mind uh, respected. So they trust me and they allow me to say, to encourage them, but to encourage them with some accountability. Uh, I think that was key. And that's one of the two things that I, in the men's ministry that I, or the accountability and coaching and um, that I've done over the years is about encouraging them, but with accountability. Here's how we walk with Christ. This is what Christ expects of us as godly men. But, um, but in that process, Steve, I helped also start several churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grew through that process, there were denominational churches, Presbyterian, Baptist, Southern Baptist, uh, non-denominational. Um, one was a Chuck Smith affiliate. Uh, and from a theological perspective, that was a um, very interesting time. Uh, non-denominational community churches I got involved with. And I got involved with, the, at the same time, there were I started realizing that there seemed to be, in this process of learning and growing from the corporate world, I started to see there wasn't a lot of differences are there very, there's a lot of similarities to a new style, a new way of doing church about 20, 25, eh, maybe a little longer, 25 years ago, that where the church started to incorporate what I thought was a lot of the methodologies that I saw in the corporate world. That concerned me greatly. Um, and as I went through this process, I studied church growth. I've been a part of some significantly large church growth. One of the churches I was involved with, start, involved with was in Virginia. Uh, started out very small, about 80 people. Um, and today in Virginia, there are over 5,500 attendees. Um, and it was one of the, a great church, with a great pastor, um, who tries not to actually is the one that I've actually seen over the years in studying churches, doesn't adopt a lot of those types of um, methodologies, you will, to um, in their in ministry. But they, he's, that church is very rare uh, in my mind. Mm-hmm. But what concerned me about, if I may talk about that a little bit, if you will, 
Certainly, it's part of your story. Is as I witnessed all this stuff and participated, I have to say I participated gladly in all of this. I thought at the time, why not? It works. Uh, these methodologies work here in, in the corporate world. If we can adopt and utilize the good, not the bad, if you will, uh, in this, I think it would be beneficial uh, to grow the church. And more people will come to church, more people will hear the word of Christ, the love of Christ, see the love of Christ. And it was all a good thing at the time. Uh, there was a church movement out of, out of Chicago. It was called, I think, Seeker Sensitive. And I think that was the first, if, if you will, the catalyst for the whole thing. Um, with churches adopting a new methodology of how they are going to worship, minister, manage uh, their churches. They almost became some of the large, and some of these churches became very large and adopted methodologies that I didn't think were appropriate, to be honest. It concerned me. But how can you argue with success? That's what I was always told in the corporate world. It works. Yeah. People were coming to church. And the reason I think it, I think the reason that the, the people wanted to start it, Steve, was going out in that it wasn't working. I don't think the, a lot of churches were not, a lot of denomination, denominational churches weren't growing. Uh, people were not being evangelized. People were not coming to Christ. Things were changing culturally in the country. And I think some of the leadership got together and said, we've got to do something different to be able to reach out and share, share Christ with people. They're not coming. And when we do go out, it's not having the response uh, that we have anticipated. People were walking away from the church. People were, did not want to be involved in the church. And a lot of that was going across the country. The country was doing quite well financially before 9-11. People didn't need Jesus. We got our own security and our own finances. There's no, it's very difficult to want to um, change things if everything around you is very comfortable. The country was doing well. Pol you know, the politicians weren't uh, creating too many problems. The world was pretty much at peace, if you will. Everything's very, very comfortable. Why upset the apple cart? And what happened, I think, Steve, you, know, you guys can jump in, if you will, with this and ask, is I think what we, that we did was sat down and said, well, we want to grow. Why do we want to grow? It's because we want to bring more people into the kingdom. God wants us to go out and evangelize. How best to do that? There, I don't know how else to say it, and I don't want to apologize. I want to apologize up front if I want to offend somebody, but it was we want to get people in, so let's change everything that we're doing. Let's water down the gospel. The, preach, the pastors water down their sermons, if you will. There was no fire, hellfire and damnation type talks, no sin talks or sermons. They were very limited. None at all most of the churches that I saw. Um, we grew up in an age when, we, when I started going to church, I was told to wear a suit and a tie. Your best Sunday go to meeting clothes. I remember a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. So it was, um, why would you do that? It's because you're, becoming, you're coming before the king. I had a senior pastor at a church in Baltimore tell me that. You're coming before the king. Wear your best. Be your best. 
Um, and that changed overnight. People coming in shorts and sandals and t-shirts and, um, they'd stop at Starbucks before they got there and they got the Starbucks and all was good. The music changed, the sermons changed, everything, everything, everything about it changed. And that would get around the communities where they adopted this philosophy. And amen, people started coming in the doors. So you're sitting back as a, an ex-corporate guy who, who knows all the techniques, the methods, and the strategies for growing stuff. You're saying, boy, I've seen this somewhere before. I did. And I actually was asked how to utilize some of my training in helping them to uh, develop their programs. Uh, and I said, well, I, there, was a, there has to be a reason the Lord put me through all of this training and all those experiences in the corporate world. Of course. And I did. I was glad to share some of those things. And I would be in the uh, session meetings and board meetings at these different churches. And I was asked on some occasions to be a consultant. I was on staff, uh, unpaid staff at a couple of churches. And that's what I was there to do. I was, I think they got a role, they call that now, the role I played in a lot of churches is a, an executive pastor um, to offload the senior pastor, to create uh, a vision, operational procedures, and put staffing in place and, and structure and, and, and then in, to develop that and to implement that. That's the role I would play at several churches. And um, I was good at it. I was very good at it. I was very comfortable at doing it. And um, you sit back and say, well, why not? That's the way I was trained. And people, the Lord was bringing people. They were coming. They were hearing the gospel. And they were coming to Christ. They, uh, it was amazing. It was a blessing to see by the hundreds and thousands across the country. It was a very successful movement. Thousands of people were coming to the Lord. They would utilize multimedia um, skits, is what we called them back in the day. Um, all kinds of different music, different types of media to uh, share the gospel with people. It was very different than the old sit there with your three-piece suit on with everyone up front who's in robes and this very liturgical type of services that we were used to and accustomed to at the time. To... It was very freeing. Uh, they were singing songs that everybody knew. Some actually were starting to sing, sing uh, not use non-Christian music. Um, it was, uh, and it got to a point there at some churches that I attended. Uh, it was very free, free flowing. Uh, I didn't at some point recognize what I was watching on TV or in the movies from some of the stuff I would see up front in a church. So, and that was very disheartening. I actually would hear people come to me and ask, Mike, is this all there is? Where's that? Or do what I do? What do I do now? I have become a Christian, but there's nothing around this church that tells me what to do next. Help me. There was a very uh, managed process from what was taught up to the pulpit to what was taught in Sunday school. They don't call it Sunday school anymore. 
They called it adult education. Now they call it even something different. All the old terminology went away. Mm -hmm. uh, and you weren't encouraged in the old days. When I, yeah, I say the old days. It's like I'm ancient, but I probably am. But I didn't see anybody carrying the Bibles to church anymore. Hmm. Uh, let me let me ask you, Mike, sure. and I'll ask you this. Not, not that I'm trying to lead you with anything, but, but I sure go ahead. I got I got your outline in front of me, so I know some of the stuff that you're talking about. Um, as an extra corporate guy, obviously there are techniques that grow churches that we were just talking about that grow businesses mm -hmm. that are being overlaid on the church. But with there, there's inherent problems too. Yes, mm -hmm. and and you're kind of. You're kind of seeing those unfold as well, and and what would you say they they were? Some real some of the things that I saw was a very mediocre faith, mm. if I could put it that way. In people, they had come to Christ, I see. and as I was kind of mentioning just a, a second ago, they come to Christ, but they were not. Scripture talks about the spiritual meat. Paul talks about the milk and the meat, right? Mm -hmm. And he always would chastise some that you're not all the meat, the spiritual meat yet. And there's more to our Lord and Savior than Jesus loves me. Much, much more. I found people who could not articulate their faith. They weren't sure what it was. They did not know what they believed and, and, and certainly didn't know why they believed it they couldn't defend it from that perspective and they were they knew there was something wrong they knew that there was more but they enjoyed the fellowship great fellowship great uh, social activities within the church and creating the body if you will but there was no meat for them to a real substance very little substance that I felt um, was being you shared. Feel like they were kind of feel like they're be kind of be enjoying or, or let's say enjoying the culture of the church that was being produced. And there you had a lot of social things going on. You had tailgate parties. You had yes. Uh, so mm -hmm. you were you're producing this whole culture inside this church that you know what was it they were actually enjoying, and then. As a corporate guy, did you kind of see even the structure of leadership more, oh, very much so. more like a bit? Very much so. Look like a business. Absolutely. Okay. The, there ended up being every corporation, public corporations, will have a, a, chair, a board, a chairman of the board, a CEO or president. And depending on what type of organization it is, there's a, a multifaceted uh, organizational structure all the way down to from the top person up, it's a pyramid structure to where there's a group of small people working into one particular manager up to a larger group, to another person, another group, another group, another, and departmental as well. And that was the first thing that happened. I saw pastors becoming, if you will, the CEO in effect. Mm. I don't know that's, I don't think that's what they were trying to be, but that's what they were doing. Um, mm -hmm. you saw the elders becoming the chair, the board, if you will, the, the, and the chairman of the board, and they were, and that's typically what a board's going to do anyway. However, then they it would structure in particular ministries and 
organizational things they wanted to do and lifestyle things they wanted to do. And then we put people in place of those processes. Hmm. What happened, one of the biggest things that happened was because we were all so busy as a culture, working and playing and living, that we're running around all week long doing all kinds of things with our kids, with our companies, our work, our home, and everything else. We didn't have a whole lot of time to do anything else for the church. It was not the 80-20 rule. It became the 90-10 rule, mm. uh, in my opinion. I saw it firsthand. Uh, we were always talking about, we don't have enough people to do this, and not enough people to do that. And we didn't. Because because family's own lifestyle is being pushed to exactly. the Exactly. We're all running in 64,000 different directions. Uh, we had to take, make sure each one of our kids played four, two or three different sports, uh, played the piano, mm. went to this and went to that, went to this and went to that. And we thought it was a great thing for our kids, but we, what we didn't realize, I think we were actually um, hurting them significantly um, mm. and hurt the family structure that, you know, Absolutely. no one stayed home anymore. You know, all you, so you're just, as a family, just trying to check off all the boxes exactly, and mm -hmm. this what this what equals success. It, exactly. And you attended church, right? You have to check that box off. We attend church. Yeah. Or, and if you, you know, if you were next level up, so to speak, I hate to use that terminology, you might go to a small group or go to the Wednesday evening uh, dinner at the church. Or you might actually get involved in a ministry. Those were the 10 percenters. Those were the committed ones. Those are the people that made it happen within the church. And in some churches, it got even less than that. So what happened was they realized that what it, the church is growing. More people are coming. We need to be able to accommodate and help people and minister to people, but we don't have enough uh, resources, uh, human resources, to do that, so we need to hire staff. And they hired a position for everything inside the church. And I think the rule of thumb was for every 50 or 60 uh, attendees, there's a particular number each church came up with that we need to hire a staff person for. So you're developing this culture of professionals. Yes, that's exact. That's a very good way to put it. And they were great. They're great people. Don't get me wrong. I actually tried to become one of those individuals and get paid to do it. And I, cause I thought that was a great thing. I really did. Um, but what happened is we all stepped back as individuals, the members of the church stepped back and said, well, what can we do? There's really not a whole lot left for me to do. And We'll just sit back and say, okay, pastor, what do you need from us? Well, for me personally, and I know I can speak for, I'm speaking for a lot of people out there, a lot of guys, a lot of men out there. Well, I can write a check. That's what I can do. And I can go to a breakfast once in a while and I can go to this meeting or this social event once in a while, but that's about all I can do. I don't have the gift set as, the, as these people do. Or at least you believed you didn't. That's what you, now that's not what was told to you, mm -hmm. right? Everybody has a gift or multiple gifts that, uh, that we are given as Christians. Uh, and we're asked to use them in, in, in every day. But 
some of these things that they were doing, this was full-time work and had to be done. And you were looking at hundreds and hundreds of people to do this on part-time um, status. And it just didn't happen because we were all too busy doing our life thing. And we hired more and more staff, more and more people came in. And first thing you know, we're sitting back, everybody sits in the uh, pews on a Sunday morning. I had one particular church we were attending and two thirds of, of them were professional musicians. Mm. And I asked, well, where do these people come from? They're very good. That was tremendous. Where do they come from? Well, they came from here and from there. And I said, well, I asked a tough question. I said, are they Christians? And there was dead silence. Mm, hmm. Not necessarily. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know, but we need, we need to, to do worship and do worship well. And we don't have the resources within the body to do that. So we... At, at least to create the, the look of this professional form of worship that looked, in, in some respects, like a form of entertainment. Uh, in a lot of the churches that I attended over the years, and I've attended many in many different states, yes, they did a great performance because um, they're professionals. They were trained okay. at it. They went to college for it. They worked at it in a professional manner. Very gifted individuals doing things I would only dream of doing um, and doing what they did up front for people and to lead them in, in worship before our Lord and did a great job at it. But there came a time, even today, you might be attending a church someplace where they'll turn down the lights when the music starts. And I have, don't understand that one. But that still persists to this day. And there are some churches that leave the lights, and then the lights will come up when the pastor comes to speak. I don't understand the dynamic of that. And then they go right back down when they go to singing. I'm not sure about what goes the dynamic of that is, but I can tell you for one thing, they. I know many people in the audience, if you are the, the congregation, who are good singers, and stop singing because they can't follow along with the songs. They're not participating in worship. It's not participatory, particularly guys. Okay. There's only really one key that most of us can sing in the key of men, and they don't sing it in that key for us anymore. Uh, and the guys stand and watch others sing, or they just stand and kind of move their lips around. So they're not participating in the worship of our Lord. Did you see Mike, like this disconnection that started to happen, you know, with, uh, people's, involvement in worship because, yeah, let's just sit back and watch the professionals do it. Well, they're doing a great job. Why not? That's what I did. At, Why not? That's what I did at home. Yeah. What do we do? I went to the TV and I watched professional sports people do what I used to do. I turn on the TV and see people living their lives like I'm trying to live my life. And I just, if I didn't like it, I clicked the changer, right? I wanted something better. Absolutely. I always wanted instant the, gratification. That's the other part of our society. We've become to a point where we have to be instantly gratified. Um, and it's not like the folks that's been hired to do this has got some devious. Not at all. They're just doing, just doing what they not were called to all. do. And Trust me. I, yet some, go ahead. Yet somehow the, the congregation, the body of Christ, begins to atrophy, so to speak, that's, because their role mm -hmm. only becomes a supportive role through money, through whatever 
means and needs it takes to keep the professionals going. Agreed. Agreed. I, I can tell you some personal stories of being involved in churches that have eventually split where in order to maintain this structure, the pastors will um, make personnel moves on the boards, the sessions, the deacons, to bring men and women along that support their way of thinking mm. and will remove other men and women who do not. Do not. And recently I saw that here with a couple that I've known, we've known, my wife and I have known for decades, good Christian brother and sister. Actually, they were found, the founding family of this particular church. Mm -hmm. Literally thrown out on their ears because they would not follow along with this woke agenda that the new pastor had and sell the building that they were in and move it downtown where they could pass it to, to uh, a different demographic. All sounds great and it's loving and those folks, but literally just discarded them and others brought in other men and women that supported the pastor and would literally do horrible things to people in that particular church. Never in my mind uh, had I dreamed to see something like that. It was unbelievable. Now, they're paying the price for it themselves, the church that created the split, but but that's happening all over this country. There is, there, since we moved to where we are at now, um, I know personally of six churches have split in three years. Mm. And these are right. churches that are 150 years old. Hundreds and thousands of members. Families just thrown to the wayside. But do you say, Mike, that, that also some of the difficulties inside these churches that are happening is because they're embracing a worldly culture and saying and agreeing with it and instead of being uh, the type of church that changes the world they're kind of bringing some of that world into their mm -hmm. their place to make it comfortable for people and also embracing cultural teachings that just really doesn't line up with this well it, it's that's a very that's a difficult topic steve and that you're you're you're, you're you're correct and it is, it's the old um, slippery slope. When this all started mm -hmm. 30 years ago, uh, no one knew where it would lead. Not, like, unlike us knowing where I did, we didn't know where this internet thing was going to take us. And it's not been a very good thing. It's not done exactly what we thought it would do. There is, there's, there's negative consequences to, to all of these things. Um, the um, lost my train of thought there for a second, but the negative side of all of this, I think, is um, ah, my goodness. Well, here goes the woke agenda, if I could put it, use that one term, because I guess would sum up a lot of this very liberal or uh, non fundamentalistic or conservative viewpoint was at the time, I believe, a great idea years and decades ago. It was churches were very formal, very set in their ways, and they pretty much 
and I got involved in it. Before you could belong to the church, you had to believe in what they believed or how they believed it rather. This is how I believe a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, talks like, thinks like, lives like. Here's my theology. And if you don't think this way, we really can't let you in. And, and often that they were creating an image of what a believer would exactly. like. Exactly. not necessarily paralleling the scriptures either at the same time. That's that, correct. That is correct. We were all wrong, me included. We produce a, cult, a church culture, and even sometimes it has its own language. Yes, it does. Absolutely, Steve. It absolutely does. And that's what happens when man uh, mm. gets involved and tries to run God's kingdom and make it their own. Um, Mike, Mike, if I if I could, you, I want to circle the wagon back sure. a little bit. You, you in the corporate world, you you personally were impacted by some of the ruthless ongoings with that. But sadly, in in many respects, even in the church culture, even in the church world, where you begin to invest yourself as an executive pastor, helping out people through some of the things that you learn, there were some as much hardship personally with that too and the way things went that that you felt like you suffered with and just just really is not what you expected it wasn't the camelot of mm -hmm. being involved in religious enterprise it, it, you got hurt there too didn't you uh, i did steve um i similar to what happened when i became that voice crying out of the wilderness in the corporate world saying there's a better way to do this if you will. Um, I had been asked to leave in certain, in several churches. And, um, now that's happened to many people in the church. Um, sure, sure. The, if you're not going to go along, you're not going to be along. You won't be there for long. It's like the NFL, not for long. Um, Got it. and people will ask pastors will ask you to leave, uh, very gently and politely. That's the, will help you to be successful someplace else, but not here. And that happened to me. I mean, that's going to happen if you, in circumstances, stand up for what... Um, Christ never said it was going to be easy. And when you stand up for Christ, things things can be tough. And I did the best I could to to do that. And at times, I, you know, companies, I would, one, I particularly did that and got fired because they did not like what um, I thought the... Uh, what I was saying about our walk with Christ and asked to leave in a particular church and actually one particular last church um, where we tried to start up a ministry in a small town. I had a group of people that were um, doing what I would call a home church environment. And we were um, asked to get involved with become a denominational part of it. And then they took over and out we went once we had gotten a, a thing up and running uh, because they wanted to put their structure in, their belief system in. And, and you're going you're gonna to do it this way? Or this is the way we, yes, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it, thanks for what you've done, but no thanks. You know, this, you can yeah. stay if you yeah. do it this way. Okay. Mm. Um, now I'm the greatest of sinners. I am not, I have been known to, you get a little hard-headed about things and 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 have caused some problem my own problems but uh in these situations it was just uh, 
I actually at one time, Steve, shared with a pastor, a couple pastors over the years, and they would ask me, well, what was it like in the corporate world, Mike? And I'd share a few minutes, and I'd end up sharing with them. But you know, pastor, they got nothing on you. <laughs> What's it like in the corporate world? Nah, you you know, know. Uh, they've got nothing on you, man. You could teach them a few, a few tricks. And they Absolutely. would take great offense to it, but um, and I, I've gotten to a point in my life is that I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak it as gently and respectfully as I can, but I'm going to share the truth with you. And truth hurts. I know. Okay. I understand the pain of that yeah. more, as well as anyone. Uh, and I've gotten to a point in my walk with Christ and my position is I'm going to share the love of Christ with you and I love you enough and I care about you enough that I'm going to tell you the tough stuff. I'm going to encourage you and I want you to encourage me and hold me accountable as I hold you accountable to these things. And I think we've gotten a place in the church, in our, in our business, in our politics, in, our, in the country that we've become soft in a lot of areas weak, if you will, and lost our way. And there needs to be people who are willing to step up into the gap and say, hey, this isn't right. But, and here's what is right. And, and when you do those things, you're going to pay a price, Steve, as, as you know, and Luke knows, and some of the folks that are listening on this have been there before and will be there again someday. But I feel called to do that. And I have done that and will continue to do those things because it pains me. It hurts me to see what Christians are doing to other Christians in the name of the church, throwing them out. Mm. Uh, and if you don't speak the right speak, um, you get thrown to the wayside and it's hurting the church. There are churches who are, who will not, um, we're not gracious enough and will not allow people to hear the, the word of Christ the lo- and see the love of Christ in action because you don't believe mm. the way we want you to believe, so you can't belong. Then there were our churches that took the other side of that w- way too far. You can believe anything you want. Just come to church and we can help you share the love of Christ with you. Uh, you'd asked about what, the, what I think Steve kind of sums it up about what the total distinctive is from a pastor that I've come to know since I've been down here who uh, put it this way. Those churches, in these splits, what happens is there's a group of people that obviously they think differently from one another. And unfortunately, they've come to a point where they say, well, we can't live together anymore, so let's just split up. You do your thing. We're going to do our thing. And what it comes down to is very succinct. Those folks believe that if we fix the world first and help you um, in your particular circumstances, no matter what it is, get a job, your health issues, your family issues, fix all that's going on with you that is wrong, then you'll respond to the love of Christ. The other camp, I think the camp that we probably live in, is, you know what? Here's the love. Of, we share the love of Christ with you, and you accept his gift then God will change everything. 
will change you from the inside from the out. inside out. And then as we are changed from the inside out, we will then go out and change others on his behalf. Amen. And that, I thought that was brilliant on his, how he put that very succinct. And, and he will tell you, he shares it. I love my brothers who believe that way, but that they're not correct. Okay. Yeah. But we love one another. Okay. We can agree to, to do it, disagree, but we need to keep praying for one another and to love one another and share with them what we believe and why we believe that and talk civilly to one another as we do it. Um, and I've seen a lot of the non-civil conversations in board meetings and all in numerous churches throughout where I've lived over the years um, and been involved with and read about and studied. Uh, it's, um, Understood. Yes. Let me let me ask you. Here here's a economic term that you've heard being involved in the middle of some of these big operations, and of course you you've seen a, a business model or matrix being overlaid on the church and and try to implement that. But there was a term that came out called butts and seats, and what does that mean? Well, in the internet world, you need subscribers, hmm. and. It's, you know, they, the more subscribers you have, the more consistent revenue you have on a monthly basis. Uh, the, the financial community loves that consistent type revenue and any organization that can drive that type of revenue gets loans and support and money and they do quite well on Wall Street. So, but you got to have the subscribers. So you do everything you can to get new subscribers and more than you really think because you got a constant churn. That's the subscribers mm. that have left you happens all the time every day so you try to plan ahead of time how many people do you think will leave our business this year go someplace else and you build that into your model and you try to overcome it by saying we lost 10 but we added 15 so you got a net growth of five it's pretty simple mathematics and i've seen and heard that term as you so aptly put it steve is it's a numbers game because people come and people go inside the church community, church buildings and church communities as well. Um, that's one of the other dynamics I saw at every one of those churches that were interested in growing and growing quickly and significantly. People come and then they go. The first people to leave are the first people that actually help start the church. It's no longer my church. There are people who, the next group of people leave are the duns. The people that are done are the that 10 to 20 percenters that got burned out in the church and left. This is not my church. This is not what I thought I was getting myself into. Uh, this is not what church should be, and off they go. So actually, Mike, going back to that, there there was a survey done by a well-known survey mm -hmm. group. said that uh, one of the largest growing groups in America is called the Dunners, mm -hmm. those who, who are done with the, the organized exactly. church, or I should say the large corporate church, but they haven't thrown their faith no, away. No, not at they're all. Just done no, they're with, done. They're just done with being caught up into the machine. They're caught up. They're done with the corporate church environment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Got it. And, and what do you think about those folks? Are they just burnt out with? I mean, maybe that's the word, burnt out, but... Why? I think it goes beyond being burnt out, Steve. They they are very committed to the to their faith and walk with Christ. They're very committed to the church, and they get one. They get burnt out, then they, and get frustrated because they they if you're that individual that's that committed to the church, you get inside, 
the church. You see the inner workings and you see what it is really like. Sunday mornings is not what a church is really like. Forgive me. It right. isn't. I've been on both sides. Okay. And when there are people involved, there's sin involved. And that's unfortunate because that, and then there are egos involved. There are agendas, personal agendas involved. And it's very difficult. And that's what you, those 10 to 20% are see. They get involved in it. They get caught up in it. And then they get um, disenfranchised. They, they lose their, their uh, vigor, vim and vigor, if you will, about, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like at all. They lose, they lose yeah. a little bit of themselves because of it. And they say, well, why did I get involved in something like this in the first place? You know, was it me? So you get disillusioned. This is the word of it. Yeah, I, th that, I think that's a good word. Yeah, yeah it. You know, we, we've had that that similar experience too of the whole Dunner thing, and it's half the reason this podcast even exists. Mm. But yeah, it's it's like I'd say maybe that first year or so, maybe even two, but definitely that first year. You know, it's like you're looking at your spiritual compass, realizing that it never actually pointed north, and you're trying to fix the magnet. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's an old saying in the corporate world, make sure your ladder's leaning up against the right building. The last thing yeah. you want to get it to is get to the top rung on the ladder and realize I'm on the wrong building. I'm on the wrong ladder altogether. Right? And that's what happens. Yeah. I and that it, that impacts you individually and personally when that happens. And you you create a lot of trust in the system and the church itself. And then it lets you down. And that can destroy people. Now, it's unfortunate. And and Mike, you you would say in this whole Dunner's group is that perhaps people come to know Christ at some point in their life, they're culturally caught up in, in going to the large church machine, and then they just want to be a part of it. They want to be involved, so they get involved in this ministry, that yes. ministry, mm -hmm. this ministry. You go help on this Sunday, raise this amount of money, here's the next building program, yeah. the next fundraising. And then at some point in time, things aren't going well at home. Yeah. Their <laughs> life's kind of flying apart yeah. because it didn't look like the image they thought it was going to be, and then just said, "I can't, I can't do this anymore. If this is exactly. what Jesus is, mm -hmm. I don't, I can't do it." Is that fair? that's fair? I, and I had a double dose because I got the same problem when I was at corporate world, and then I would do it on the in the church world if I could put it that way. And when I was home, and I had a double dose of being disillusioned about what it was all supposed to be like, and that can be devastating to you. And yeah, the yeah. folks get involved for the right reasons and do a great work for the Lord. And they get caught up into the system, a system that I don't think anybody intended in the first place to create, but did. And it takes, that system takes on a life of its own and you have to continually have to feed it. And you get in the middle of it and you wake up one more, the pastor, the, whoever you are, one of the staff people, you get up in the middle of the thing and say, I don't know how I got this place. And I don't know how to get out of it. What do I do now? Um, now those people are, that's their job. That's what puts food on the table, pays the mortgage, pays the rent bills, yep. buys the cars, put the kids in school. And they're going, okay, <laughs> let's just keep on turning um, and try yep. to make the best of it. We love the Lord. We want to um, please him the best way we can. We want to serve him. 
and let's see if we can fix it. But you can't fit once the system's in place, it's very difficult to change it because it seems from the outside that it's working. Right. It seems that way because of, of physical growth. Because we got a new campus here. They've got mm -hmm. more ministries there. Yeah. They've got now 50 people on staff when there's, you know, so it gives the, the illusion of success, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And you go back to that when I had this one young lady come to me decades ago after this one church that we attended went with the seeker-sensitive service. I will never, her name was, I won't mention her name came to me and, and said, is this all there is to church? Is this all there is to Christianity? And that's where these we all get. Is this what the church is all about? Is this Absolutely. what Jesus is about? Yeah. I don't... Look, I'm a sinner. I, you know, I said that a hundred times. I And if you looked at, in the middle of this whole thing, you'd see me standing there. All right, I got involved. Hook, line, and sinker. I, and this is the only reason I can tell you of all this stuff, because I was right in the thick of it. I saw it. I helped it happen at numerous churches in the Mid-Atlantic area. Um, and I did the same thing in the corporate world all across the United yeah. States. So I'm, I'm guilty on both accounts. And I can tell you what I saw, and that's what I'm telling you. And I think what... I appreciate you guys, what you're doing, and I wanted to be a part of it today is with, we kind of need to, to kind of raise the flag and say, hey, this isn't right. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate the, the courage to come out and have this discussion. And let me, let me drive back to a few more ideas. Sure. And, and this goes back to a more personal thing. You, you were part of like a, a men's ministry, even within the church, and, and you saw the hearts of men because I'm not sure, you know, where men's leaders are right now, but there are men out there crying out for mm -hmm. someone of wisdom, someone with leadership to say, show me the way. Yeah. I, you know, mm -hmm. all this stuff that I was told that was supposed to work this way isn't working. And furthermore, we live in a culture that demeans men, that devalues exactly. them, that says you're no yes. good. Mm -hmm. You're toxic. And you're toxic. Yeah, but yeah. right now, that's not the biblical structure, and we need men saying, stop right there. Well, oh, absolutely. But you've been, involved, you've been involved in that. And what do you say to men right now who just thinking, I don't know. I don't know what to do. It's not a short answer, but it's and just to give you a little more of, of some, a little more of that backstory, Steve, with the men is, you also don't know another interesting statistic I saw, can't recall where it was, is the demographic that would identify themselves as the most loneliest people today. Lonely. I'm alone and lonely. If you could guess what that demographic is, you probably wouldn't. It is men 58 years and older. Hmm. And you hear that from a lot of young people. Oh, I'm, all, I'm so alone. I'm lonely. And it's a difficult thing. 65% of men over 58 say, I'm alone and lonely. Hmm. I don't care what race, color, or creed you are. They're all the same. Some of these men, their wives have left them. They have no why 
No idea why they've left them. They're having problems and difficulties with their children. And they're, and, and by the dozens, Steve, I talk to men like this all the time. And I know you guys do too. We see it. They are let, uh, lost. They're lost. They live their lives the best they could live them. They've gotten to this point in their, in their lives that they, they're clueless. What did I do wrong? What did I do right? Did I do something? Did, they thought they played the script just like it yeah, was written and it didn't Exactly. Out. I did exactly what I was expected to do in the work world and in the church world. And look at me now. Now what? I'm completely lost. But I would tell these guys, and when I tell men that I get the privilege of being able to talk to on a daily basis, is there is hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ and in your other friends and brothers. Who are, who are just like you. I don't care what you're, you don't have to be in your 50s or 60s or 70s, 20s, 30, 40s, and your 50s. Men all across this country are asking, what is, it my, what is it I'm supposed to be? What is it I'm supposed to do? And how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. And it's a particularly, like we were saying, it's a particularly dangerous time for men mm -hmm. Because the same men who are feeling like that are also being bombarded by the messages of toxicity yes. and all mm -hmm. the other all the other horse dung that we are acutely aware of right now that is just particularly destructive. Yes. Now, with that, I guess say, hey, we've done a lot of dumb things as men, still do it, oh, and always sure. will. And and but all of those are forgivable. All of those can be turned around and reconciled, and 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 you can change. There's hope, and there are that one thing we need to do is other men who are interested in this to reach out. If you're one of those men who are lost, is to make a phone call, reach out to somebody, and say, "Hey, look, I need a friend." Okay, make a phone call, get talk to somebody, say, "Hey, look, stop being alone." You're not an island. You're not, you know, you don't have to be the tough man. I don't care how old you are, or how young you are. Reach out to somebody. Now, if you're somebody who is kind of semi got it together, or at least understands that there are issues and challenges, you need to make a phone call to another person and share with them. As I mentioned before, that comfort that you receive from Jesus, you share that comfort with them. And what that means you become their friend. And I don't mean somebody that's just an acquaintance or somebody you say hi to when you see them in church sometime. You go spend some time with them. Go have a cup of coffee. Talk to them on a the telephone. Don't see them at church. Call them up. Where are you at? How you doing, buddy? All right. I have numerous men in my life that will we talk to talk to each other on a, on a regular basis, and we hold each other accountable. And I know they got my back. And I got theirs. And I got to tell you, I had to work at that a long time because I did. I worked a long time at destroying some, <laughs> not creating them and destroying some of those relationships. And you got to work at creating them and maintaining them. But the good news is, Steve, it can be done. I'm living proof of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked to people that I actually, you know, some guys I actually fired over the years. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I humbly went back and apologized. And now we talk and they forgave me, but you gotta, you gotta you take the first step. 
And that's the key is being proactive about it and not sitting back and waiting because it's not going to happen if you don't take a step. Make a phone call and go see somebody, talk to them and create a relationship with them, share the love of Christ with them and give them a big old man hug. I'm big on that. Hey, hey that, 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 that is so, so good. And, and I think you would say, because Mike, the work that you do with men right now is, is kind of like the grassroots level. You, you don't have a corporate umbrella no, over you. You're no. not a part of an organization. You're just doing the one thing that Jesus said, go. Go. That's right. Go do yeah, it. I, I, you don't, I don't have a fight. I'm, I am a non, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm not, you know, uh, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't do any of all those things. I, I just, I just took it upon myself to go. You don't, you don't have the card carrying nope. thing, you not know, at all. you're not, you know, it, you, so you don't have the license. You didn't go to seminary. Well, I know you've done some of that kind of I, stuff well, like studied that. Studied it extensively, but it was, it, it's, it's just going out and reaching out to another individual and saying, Hey, let's talk. I care about you. Yeah. You know, um, and create that relationship, one-on-one relationships. And that's what it is. To, the church should be just. In a, in a situation where you can be in a group that is the size that you can actually do those things. And there was Steve at one time, there was one of the first churches, the uh, first church I actually got involved with was one of the bless- biggest blessings in my life because it was a church that was very focused on everyone had a gift, everyone was using their gifts. And we had a, had a byline or a motto, every member is a minister, every member ministers. And we did. It was a blessing. And but like all churches and all and most organizations, they got away from that fundamental. It did. We did and we all do. So go yeah. out and minister. You don't have to have a degree. You don't you just go. Isn't that part of the illusion sometimes that the professional culture has created that that if you don't have this degree, this credential, this schooling this look, this gift, then we'll just leave it to us. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that Jesus sends out the 12, yes. and he says, go. Yeah. Don't take nothing with you but the cloak on your back. Go. I want your dependence to be solely on me. Exactly. And mm-hmm. there are plenty of moments where the 12 act like complete boneheads, but eventually they become the 12 whose names have that, been remembered for 2,000 years. That turn the world upside Amen. down. Yeah, simple men and women. Right. So your message then, to Mike, is to that, based on what you do and really what we're doing here at Restless, the podcast, is at a grassroots level, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's very basic stuff. We got away from basic blocking and tackling to use sports. Mm. We got uh, away from who we are as as people. Yeah. yeah. That's all I I I don't know how many times I've come across men that you call up or you run into and you just say, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah. And no yes. one has said that yes. to them for quite some time, and it's it's moving. You That's... you wouldn't think it would elicit that type of response, but it does because, as you said, there's this loneliness out there. There is. There absolutely is. I've seen grown men cry, just say, hey, mm. how you doing? And be sincere about it, right? Yeah. And the thing is, you have to be prepared to have, spend some time. Amen. And just listen. Just be there. Just be there and listen. And one of the worst parts, one of the worst parts of that is these very men who have been involved in a church of some kind, you know, are 
Americanized, mechanical, oversized corporate church. Mm -hmm. They never heard that there either. Mm -mm. No, they didn't hear it from the fathers, most likely. They didn't hear from their uh, teachers or coaches or their pastors or their bosses. So where would they get it? Exactly right, Mike. That's true. And and, and we're not here to to bad mouth. No, no. You're talking to a guy, you know, Mike, who's been there, done that. He's not shooting from the hip. He's seen it. He's been a part of it. And a lot of the response you'll get in a large corporate machine is what can you do for us right now to make Mm -hmm. the machine better, as opposed to the personal thing is like, what's happening in your life right now? Because I can't. Yes. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but often we get caught up in the bigger systematic process of the machine and that personal side of it is kind of lost. Exactly. It is. It is. And so what you're doing out there is just guys in your neighborhood that live around you. That seems to be the kind of the left behind kind of fellas who just want someone to come alongside of them and say, Hey man, you're doing okay. Yeah. You'd be surprised that uh, over the years, I probably at this point have over 35 or 40 guys that I've talked to not every day, not every, even every month. But for me to call them up, I've got men all over the country, actually, Steve, that I talk to, people that I mm-hmm. uh, got to know because of work and, and even church circumstances. I'll just call them up and say, hey, and if they don't answer the telephone, I don't like doing text, but I'll leave you a voice message. Say, hey, Bill, how you doing? It's Wilmer. Give me a call. Let's, let's catch up. And they'll call you back and say, man, I can't believe you called me. Nobody calls me. So, well, I did. How's it going? It, it, anybody can do that. Anybody. And, it, and anybody can do it. And I've had men and other guys do that to me. And it's like, man, they took time out of their t- day. It wasn't more than 10, 15, 20 minutes sometimes, if, if that, just to say, hey, how you doing? Mean it. And that made your day, made your week. Yeah. Seriously. Absolutely. I I agree with you. And and, uh, that just really is where men are right now, is that in that that loneliness, who's just looking for that voice that's sincere, is not asking them to do anything Mm -hmm. other than sincerely want to know, are you okay? Yep. Absolutely, Steve. Yeah. So what, you know, we've talked a lot about issues in church mm-hmm. and the like, and how, you know, the, the church just seems to have these ideas that we, we think are scriptural or we think are correct until we kind of learn the hard way that really there's just so much that in truth is a perversion of what Jesus said or what the early church fathers mm-hmm. did. Um, but, and we have been talking a little bit about it, you know, more specifically in the lives of men and least and in, in relationships. But I think it's important that we also address some, at least what we hope, we've learned along the way are solutions. Yes. What is hopefully, and we will certainly claim no, <laughs> no preconceived knowledge or even certainly not even claim to be right, but just hopeful that maybe we can find a better direction. What are some solutions for this thing called church? This concept we're supposed to have of an organic body of Christ that in its collectiveness also does not lose each individual within it. That magnifies the Lord's glory that elevates us as we grow closer to him and accomplishes the goal really the way that we would hope scripture wants us to. Wow. That's a big question. That's an excellent question. Luke, I don't know if I've got all the answers on that one. And that, 
and I don't think any of us really no. do, but just from what we've learned, what for our listeners do you think we can put down there? Hopefully some at least half right ideas, maybe. Well, first and foremost, scripture says, don't forsake getting uh, together with one another in worship. Go right. to church. It may not be perfect. So I was always fond, still in fond of saying any church allowed me in in the first place, probably not a real perfect church anyway, but uh, they're very gracious to let me in. So, because we're all sinners. First and foremost, remember that we're all sinners. A couple of thoughts come to mind. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the leadership of the church because they're just as lost as you are. Okay. And I have worked with some named pastors, know them, and some big names in corporate America, and they're just as lost as I am uh, if they were to be honest about things. So pray for them. Come alongside them. Talk to them. Share your ideas. If you believe that there's a better way to do this, talk to the pastors. Talk to the leadership of the church. Gently, with respect. But you have to stay involved while you're doing this. It's difficult to change a church from the outside. Okay? Mm. Um, good word. Secondly, your walk, where's your walk at as a, as a man? Mm. Okay? Ask yourself the tough questions. If you're going to come to me in the business world, the church world, as a church leader or a tr business leader, one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going I'm to size you up. Okay? Are you believable? Am I, are you saying things out of one side of your mouth and doing, you know, thinking something someplace else or doing something? How's your lifestyle? Is it backing it up? Or are you all talk? Are you living it? Are you walking it? In every aspect of your life, are you a good father? Are you a good husband? All right. You read scripture. You follow the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Do you love others? Do you sacrifice your time and your resources to help others? Are you living it? That's that's second. Mm. That's paramount because that's where. But you've got to reach out to the leadership, live the you know be following Christ in the first place, and following with all your heart, mind, soul, and body the best that you can. You're going to make mistakes. Um, third, you're going to need to get into a small group with other brothers. It's paramount to have the accountability. And men, Mike, men don't do that a it's, whole lot anymore. No, they don't. You know, they don't. You see a lot of guys who just don't really have a friendship beyond their wives, and, and that doesn't always work so well to do that. But you just don't see men developing the kind of relationships. Now, it happens in the church because that's a box to check right, off. Right. But even in your own local community here is you just don't see men you know, doing that too often. It, it's, it, it's tough. I sometimes say that it, uh, trying to get men into a small group is like herding cats. They, yeah. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason. And most of that, what I find uh, for me personally is, I don't know if I really trust you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, why do you, and the second thing is, why are you asking me to a, a lunch or breakfast or have a cup of coffee one-on-one? -on -one? Think about it. What do you, the things we're trained is, well, they want something. We don't trust. You want to sell them something. I want to sell them something. Well, it's Wilmer. He's going to sell me something, right? Um, that's what I was trained to do. <laughs> and that's, 
So I have to turn that off. I have to flip that switch off. And you have to grow and learn to be trustworthy and worthy of trust. All right. And put the other individual at ease to do that and get in a small group. But what I got to tell you, the only way it's going to work is if you're intentional. You literally have, like we were talking about before, you've got to make the phone call. You got to go meet the people, meet the other men. First, before you even do that, you have to start praying about, um, make a list of guys. Everybody knows, we all know people. We all know other guys in our neighborhood or neighbors or brothers and sisters, uh, brothers and guys at work, guys that play sports with or golf with or whatever. We all know other guys. Make a list, start praying for those guys. And all you do is you start calling after praying for them for a while. Say, hey, look, man, I've been thinking about having a get together group of guys just simply to get together, talk about our, our faith, our families and our marriages and try to encourage one another to love each other and to laugh and have fun. And you're interested? That's how I do it. Yeah, and there's a, would you say that there's a growing list of guys who's kind of walked away from the organized church mm-hmm. who's just sitting there in their armchairs, you know, watching TV, who just would love to hear that phone call? Yeah. Just, hey, this, one of the first things I do is, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Well, I don't drink coffee. How about, all right, well, whatever. Let's go. Don't let them make excuses. All right. Yeah. Don't let them do what you would do if they called you. Okay. Because you, I would do the same thing. Why, well, wait a minute. Why, why are you calling me? What's up? I'm, you know, I'm, what do you want? What do you, so just say, you know, pretty much say, look, I, I don't want anything out of this. Just, I just want to get together and see how you're doing. I want to hear your story. That's the one thing I love doing is just hearing people's stories. Amen. Everybody's got a story. It, 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 they do. And for you to ask them, yeah, just like, well, tell me your story. What, what do you want Like, why are you interested in my story? Because like, it's a value. It's a value to me. You're a value to me because I can learn from you. Because hearing your story encourages me. And hopefully when you hear my story, it'll encourage you. And we'll learn how to be better men. And that's why this podcast exists. Amen. Because yeah. people's stories are of value. And like the fingerprints on our bodies, they are unique to us. Amen. And we can learn from one another. All we got to do is, Luke, tell me your story, and I listen. That's how it starts. Mm. Yeah. So, Mike, for those guys out there who just kind of have kind of lost a sense of hope, mm-hmm. yeah. what do you want to tell them? What do you want to tell them? Well, depending on who the individual is, because uh, everybody's different, <laughs> I may have yep. to, you know, give you a swift kick to the derriere, get your attention. Yep. Uh, be prepared to to make to do for them what you need. They need to have done. Okay. Yeah. If for many men, I've I seem to come to me or find out, or I I see. Um, that I said, I need to tell them straight up, hey, buddy, you're heading in the wrong direction. Mm, you know, and he, and and they may be a Christian, they may not be a not, they may be non-Christian. Doesn't make a difference. You say, look, this is going to sound. I can tell. You know how I can tell? Because I am one of them. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I've done stuff. I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, and I can tell. It takes one to know one, doesn't it? I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. Okay? That's all we're doing. 
man old friend of ours, Steve, you'll probably recall this, used to say, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food. Yeah, sure thing. That's how you start. All right, I got no agenda. Let's go play golf. Let's go whatever you do. Find out what they like. Go do it with them. Yeah. Amen. And then you build from there. And you find some other guys who who are in the same spot that you're in. And you just start getting together on a regular basis. Takes time. Takes effort. But it's not complicated. Heck, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I, I, it sounds like I was did a lot of things up front and, and public and, and, and all kinds of meeting people all the time I did, but I was scared all the time. Mm-hmm. I do this stuff and I, I'm very nervous. I am very nervous on the inside all the time when I get together with people. But I said, I'm going to do it. And God was faithful. And now I enjoyed, I, I thoroughly enjoy this. Why? Because I get so much out of it. Amen. You know, to Amen. see uh, somebody else smile, right? And all you did was ask them, hey, how you doing? How you, doing? you know, it's, it's not complex. It's not, you don't need degrees to do it. Um, you don't have to be the brightest bulb in the pack, so to speak. You don't have to be the most articulate individual. Just say, hey, what, how hard is it to say, hey, how you doing? Yeah. It's not hard at all. And- and isn't that what Jesus did, really? Hey, I thought so, yes. Come, come follow me. Come follow me. You know, it wasn't a speech. It wasn't like a silver tongue that giving yeah. you this dramatic thing. It's just, hey. Yeah, I'll make you. Come, yeah. follow, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Yeah, simple, simple. terms, simple that's, things. Uh, and that's one of the things that I try to do is keep things simple. Yeah. And in a very complex world, I think that's what we need. Keep it simple very basic message. And that is, Hey, I care about you. I love you. Um, don't be afraid to tell them you love them. Amen. Okay. And, and Mike, here's a, here's a, some scripture that I often mm-hmm. refer to and maybe you can shed some light on, but I think it speaks to some of the things that is just really problematic with large church ministry today. It says, these people honor me with their mm-hmm. lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human mm. roles. It's one thing for us to get out there and, and speak with about God with our lips, but really, at the end of the day, what he wants is our hearts. Yes, it is. Amen. Absolutely. We can say all the right things up front on a stage, act a certain way, but really what he's really looking for is our hearts. And when you go to men asking them, hey, how's your heart? Mm-hmm. You're really speaking to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just get cut through the, yeah, you know, the stuff, all right, and get to the heart of the matter. And you yeah. do that by being very simple with it and to um, the best you can help them to understand that you care about them Amen. and you love them in, in your way, all right? That means a lot of things into the, to to different people, what that means, but, and, and they're going to ask you, just be prepared. Say, why are you, why are you doing this? It's because somebody did it for me. Yeah. Somebody did it for me. We love, yep. cause he loved us. First. Amen. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to have, obviously Jesus Christ in my life, but other men who mentored and came to me and challenged me at times. 
mm-hmm. in my life. There's times when I, well, I crashed, as I mentioned earlier on in, in the discussion. I had three guys. Uh, one was a ranger, retired ranger. One was a retired mm-hmm. SEAL and a Navy pilot, a decorated, highly decorated Navy pilot who literally came to my house one day in the midst of my uh, misery um, and literally dragged me out of the house. Hmm. Now, I wasn't going to fight three guys like that, so that was not, <laughs> that was a foregone yeah. conclusion I was going to go with them, okay? And all they did was take me, I was, uh, you know, said, put some clean clothes on, we're going to breakfast. And we they didn't yell at me. They, they didn't. They didn't look down upon me. They didn't. They just say, hey, took me to breakfast. And we talked about anything and everything. Okay? And that's what I needed. They knew what I needed. And I said, hey, what? You guys didn't need to do that. And the first thing I thought was, was you'd have done the same thing for us. Mm. Amen. And that's, that's, it was that simple. That's when it kind of dawned on me what it was supposed to be like when you're, you know, you're, you're trying to be a friend, trying to be a buddy, trying to share with other men. Okay. Yeah. You know, one thing I've learned about friendship in general, but I think this also occurs a little bit more among men and we've got to jettison this is like what you just said about like, oh, you didn't need to do that. Mm. We don't need (laughs) to do anything for anybody. That's right. Yeah, and we need to stop seeing it as like favors or services owed because that's where mm-hmm. that need word need is coming from. Oh, I, you, know, you didn't owe me that is really what you're saying. And friendship is the polar opposite of that. That's a good it's way to put it. It's not about what you owe. That's, mm-hmm. It's not about what you need. It is about what someone genuinely desires to do for you because they love you. Yep. Yeah. Hey. Jesus did not need to die on the cross. He could have said, screw those morons. Yep. And he had every right he, to do yes. so. He did not need to do anything. Chose, chose to. to. Wanted to. I'll say. Yeah, that's very and good. And I think, very good, like, hmm? I know I kind of piped up about that, but, but, but I see that a lot in men, especially the ones, even some my age, and, and, and what well, really, the, the, actually, you know what, the age doesn't even matter. Just, I see that a lot. Get rid of this need stuff. There are no needs. Start desiring well the, and better speaking things. to that over the years i was taught and i learned to let people minister to you yes let people minister to you they have the gifts they're called to do it you need to allow them to do it so that they can fulfill what christ is asking them to do and you for sure need them to minister to you so it's a two-way street they're not doing they're getting something out of this and it's a blessing to do it. Yeah. It's a true blessing to do it. They will walk away better off than you are. Believe me, I've been there. It's the old adage, it's better to give than to receive. And it's, it rings true every time I talk to a, to a guy who's having problems. And I just, you just got to tell him. And if need be, you, uh, you need to be very blunt with them. Say, hey, I've told guys, well, get, just get over yourself. And they'll look at you like, eh, what? So what? You know, let's just go have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about it and see what happens. Oh, okay. All right. First thing you know, you got a you know a weekly conversation going on. You see them around the around the town or whatever, and you know, and you're 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 meeting. You're encouraging one another. 
you're holding each other accountable, and you're just loving each other, and then uh, your life changes. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's you start to get the answers that you've been looking for all your life because people are sharing with you their life experiences and their stories. They have each other. Everybody has something to share of value that you can learn from and learn by. Uh, most of my knowledge is gained that way, is by talking and sharing with other people, other men. That's one of Jordan Peterson's rules for life is treat everyone you meet like they might have something to teach. Yes. Them. And they do. <laughs> they really do. If you'll just listen. Amen. You know, I mean, if you go back to my sales training, one of the first things that uh, sale, I went to so many sales trainings and there's all kinds of techniques that they try to do. One of them was crazy enough to say, go for the no, try to get you to say no to everything. And, and, and so, but the one I really learned the most about, he, he drew a picture on the wall and he says, had somebody walk up, said, draw the size of the, the mouth and the nose and the ears on this individual's face on this whiteboard. Right. Now, it was sounded kind of hokey, but at the end of the uh, exercise, the point was your ears should be elephant size and your mouth minuscule. Listen. And then if you do speak, ask probing questions about the individual that you're talking to. Yeah. And uh, it is a good point. I said, that, that's amazing. <laughs> that that sounds simplistic, but listen first. And if they ask, there's, and if they talk, and if they say, "Well, hey, you know what? Well, why do you think that? Well, how come you said that? Or why do you believe this?" Just and let them talk. There's another way I've heard that that framed. Now, yeah, you hear that in sales sometimes too. And it was, "You have two ears and one yes. mouth. Please use proportionately." Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Michael, we'll begin to kind of bring this airplane down on the tarmac okay. quickly here. But uh, I don't know. What's our recording time? Did we put all the quarters in the meter here, Luke, that we're going to run off a budget? I don't know. I think we're good there. But like, here, here's, a, here's a question right. for you. Again, it's coming back to this grassroots, just basic movement reaching out to guys because in some respects, you know, there's a – when you're a Christian professional, and I, I'm not trying to be demeaning here because I've been there, I've mm -hmm. done that, I've seen it, I've been a part of it, there's an expectation from you, from the crowd, to act a certain way, be a certain way, say the certain questions and ask certain questions from you. But when you're a blue-collar mm -hmm. guy or a white-collar guy in the business world who starts talking about Jesus and about morality, about uh, a means of a compass in your life, is like, Boy, you're going to get some looks. Yes, you are. Because that's not what they're expecting. So in many respects, again, I'm not being demeaning because it's not easy, but sometimes being professional is easy because there's an expectation. But when you're this other person, mm -hmm. and Jesus always used blue-collar workers, and like Matthew, a white-collar worker, to do his work, he didn't use the professionals, it, it says get out there and get it done, and, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be tough. And that's, that's where you're out there. You're, you're that guy who's seen it in the industry, and yet you're at a grassroots level taking them on one at a time. I mean, speak to the guy who's thinking, I don't have the credentials to do it. And I think we have touched on that a, a little bit. bit already. Yeah, they, you do. You have the credentials to 
say, I care about you. That's simple. It's easy. You don't yeah. need even a high school education to do it. You just need to, in your own way, communicate to that other individual that, hey, I care. I don't care what you know. It's, I want to know how you care. Mm. Right? That's where you start having that um, relationship. I care about you. Say a kind word to them. You do not need a formal education. You don't need a, a seminary degree or a PhD in this or PhD. You have a PhD in life. That's what you have. Amen. And if Amen. you're a Christian, you have given, been given a gift, if not m multiple gifts by God to use. Find out what they are. Use them. The gift of hospitality. Yeah. Just say hello and just to be humble about it. And don't have a whole lot of expectations about it. And to know that the person you're talking to is just like you. Amen. I, I had a elementary school, actually junior high school teacher, Mr. White. He said to me, Steve, you know, people don't really care how much you know. They want to know how much Amen. you care. Amen, Steve. Uh, and, and the other thing to remember in, that, in those same lines is I think we can get caught up on like, oh, well, you know, I've suffered this way or that way, and people can't understand. Yes, they yes, can. can. Mm -hmm. All of our experiences may vary in what the actual event was that was traumatic or whatever it is we're talking about. The context will vary. The amount will vary. But the way that people have been made to feel is exactly mm -hmm. same. Everybody, the mm -hmm. human experience is universal. Amen. Everybody mm -hmm. has felt pain Amen. in all manners. So they understand the concept of pain. And that's how you relate. You know, some may have been, of, may have been in war mm -hmm. and watched a very brutal death of someone they love mm -hmm. occur. And you might think on the outside that that is particularly bad. And oh, yeah, it is. But there are others who maybe they didn't see something so explicitly horrific but they have still been made to experience something in life that made them feel much the mm -hmm. same. Everyone, yes, I agree, Luke. That is true. Everybody's experienced pain and trauma, and we're all alike in that manner. We can hide it, right? but it's all there just under the surface. You just need to ask. Share your pain first. I, yeah, amen. I, I agree with that. And we're going to give you kind of the last word with this, Mike, to kind of settle things out. I think it's been a tremendously revealing discussion that included parts of your life that were painful, the things that you saw, yet you, you beautifully brought it into this perspective how we could see just the ministry that God's called us each individually to that doesn't need to be under the umbrella of something massive, mm -hmm. but individually to people, to men who just want someone to know their name. Amen. What do you, what do you have to say about that? I mean, what, how do you want to wrap up your time with the folks who's been listening with us? I would say, Steve, it's much of some of what we already spoke. You guys have spoken some kind of very good words yourselves about this, is everyone that you meet, is in, it has pain and trauma that you've, they have experienced. It just might be a different flavor, but it's still just as painful as yours. Everybody hides it. Everybody wants to run from it. Yeah. But you can't. It becomes like a cancer. It will eat away at you over life. 
and it will have all kinds of negative consequences to it. I, I would say as a guy that we need to get over ourselves to understand that we do have issues that we need to try and resolve. A lot of that has to be giving your life over to Christ, talking to your wife, speaking with your children differently, learning to be what it means to be a godly man. There's multiple aspects to that. But this, it's the first step in giving your life to Christ. The second step is reaching out to someone that will be could be a mentor to you and someone who could be a partner with you, a guy for you that um, knows who you are and doesn't care about what you've done or what you haven't done, but they just care about you. So you need that mentor, you need that uh, buddy, and then you need somebody that you can go be a mentor to. That's the other part. A lot of guys we don't do is we don't reach out to that other younger man. It could be an older individual. Who knows? But there's all aspects. But first off, you just got to get out, give your life over to Christ. Realize that you are um, loved by him. You are loved by others. And that there is hope. You just, you need to take that step to reach it. Right. Mike, we want to thank you for coming on to the podcast, Restless the Podcast, and your insights have been great. And we want to ask you to come back at a later date to speak to these things again. If you I want. would love to do that. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Thank you, Mike. That was um, that was really good. Well, okay. <laughs> well, I, well, I hope so. I hope it. Uh, I hope it will help somebody out there. Thank you, Luke. Oh. It's a, it's a lot of information, but it's all really personable, real. And well, applicable. It's it, this is going to be, I think, a, a really unique one in really bridging that kind of rogue wave idea with our episode idea. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of story here, but there's a lot of stuff to intellectually digest as well. And I think that makes for a special episode. No, good to hear that. Thank you. Great. So thanks, Mike. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rogue Wave Number Three from Restless the Podcast. For we here are restless to find he who said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For whom is your heart restless? Every season.